Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. China's Yellow River supports one in every 12 people in the country. But as the economy booms, demand for water has grown, forcing the government to find new ways to prevent the river from running dry. Lucy Hornby, the FT's China correspondent, reports from Beijing. Zhang Baishan has one of the toughest jobs in China. Mr. Zhang wears the uniform of the Chinese bureaucrat, black loafers, black trousers, black windbreaker, but he does more than push papers. The 56-year-old is in charge of making sure that the provinces along China's most important river stick to an agreement to share its water, a task that is growing harder as China's industrial growth outpaces its resources. In his efforts to control the Yellow River, Mr. Zhang is heir to a mythical engineer called Yu the Great, who first tamed the river 4,000 years ago. But while Yu labored to manage floods, Mr. Zhang's challenge as Director of Water Resources Management at the Yellow River Conservancy Commission is to keep the world's sixth longest river from running dry. For centuries, the Chinese heartland has depended on the muddy Yellow River, nicknamed China's Sorrow, because of its tendency to flood. Starting on the Tibetan Plateau, it loops through the coal-rich deserts of Ningxia and Inner Mongolia before crossing the North China Plain to the Shandong coast. It stretches more than 5,400 kilometers, almost as long as the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. As China's economy has boomed, the burden on the river has grown. Heavy industry, water-intensive agriculture, and the pressures of urbanization have all taken a toll. Growing cities require more power, which means burning more coal. City dwellers use five times more water than their rural cousins. The demands on the river grew too great in 1997 when, for eight long months, it failed to reach the Yellow Sea. That forced squabbling provinces to strike a political deal that has kept the river flowing for the past 17 years. That agreement is now fraying, owing to new industries in the northwest placing greater pressure on the river. But no one wants to budge, says Mr. Zhang, sitting in his office in the ancient Chinese capital of Zhengzhou. They know the pie is getting smaller. So the commission is trying something new, economic incentives to keep demand in check and prevent a dangerous upstream water grab. The idea is that new industrial users pay to displace traditional farmers, keeping total water demand in check. There are other rivers around the world that no longer reach the sea, including the powerful Colorado that flows through the U.S. southwest into northwest Mexico. But Beijing cannot afford to let that happen to the Yellow River, which supports one in every 12 Chinese, or almost 100 million people. Mindful that rural rebellions have toppled dynasties since Yu's time, China's Communist Party cannot simply cut off the farmers who still account for 70% of water use nor can it deprive the gleaming new cities of drinking water. The Commission's solution is to make new industrial users pay for improved irrigation to keep water use within bounds of what the river can support. 
Similar schemes could someday manage demand across China, so that competition for water does not cause China's economic growth to flounder. The only thing that can stop the China story is water, says Michael Kamesarov of industrial consultancy Urandaline Investments. Yu's image is carved like a guardian saint on the entrance gates of the Commission in Zhengzhou, a city founded when the engineer roamed the riverbanks. On the ground floor, a control room monitors dams and discharge pipes along the river. From here, the water is doled out to factories and farms under the watchful eye of Mr. Zhang. He is lobbied year-round by representatives from eleven provinces and regions who want more water. Delegations fly to Zhengzhou to beg for permission to deviate from the plan. Some appeal to the central government if they are turned down. There is no way I can please every province," admits Mr. Zhang. The provinces first divvied up the rights to the water in 1987 to make sure that upstream provinces like Inner Mongolia did not take all the water. But that deal did not account for yearly fluctuations, so every province exhausted its quota in the 1997 drought. The river ran dry for 226 days. That crisis focused minds, but as water demand rises across China, there is little consensus on a lasting political solution. So the Commission is trying economic incentives. On paper, the Commission's power is absolute. Yearly quotas are set at a winter meeting of provincial water bureaus, in the tradition of the planned economy. Because neither water flows nor human consumption conform to annual plans, the Commission actually adjusts allocations every ten days or so. And in practice, its power is limited. It cannot veto dams, even though seventy-four of them clog the river, and it has little influence over the nation's development agenda. China's growth-oriented political system encourages industrial development on the North China Plain, despite there being little water to spare. With the river use capped, farmers and cities drill into aquifers, causing the water table to drop by several feet each year. China is bumping up against scarcity on a national scale, says environmental economist Leo Horn Patanatai, the co-author of Climate Change and Development. The Yellow River is a microcosm of this. The Commission has kept the river flowing, but has not succeeded in limiting pollution. Only about half the river meets national standards, and some tributaries are so polluted they are unsuitable for human contact. In 2012, China said its estimated water reserves were lower than previously thought. The annual usable supply in the Yellow River was cut to 34 billion cubic meters from 37 billion cubic meters in 1987. In the past 14 years, actual usable levels have fluctuated between 37 billion cubic meters and 24 billion cubic meters. Meanwhile, demand for water from the Yellow River keeps rising, especially in the oases of northwest China, where there is abundant coal and almost no rain. Places like Ningxia. The coal fields of Ningxia begin almost as soon as National Highway 20 leaves the green fields of the Yellow River Valley for the flat, dusty expanses of the Ordos Desert. Power plants and petrochemical refineries flash by one after the other, as the horizon vanishes into a thin haze. It's boom time in Ningxia, a region smaller than Ireland, tucked into the southern flank of the Gobi Desert. For two thousand years, the man-made estuary where the Yellow River spills onto the plain. Has supported an emerald triangle of rice paddies and wetlands, hemmed in by yellow desert and the crumbling ruins of the Great Wall. Millennia ago, Yellow River swamps formed the huge coal beds of Ningxia and neighboring Inner Mongolia. Today, 
Coal mines and farms compete for water in the green swaths where the river cuts through the Gobi. Ningxia, home to only six and a half million people, plans to produce 120 million tons of coal next year, enough to power Greater London for 19 years. When the provinces hammered out their agreement on sharing the river, Ningxia's economy was still small. Its 7% quota is not enough for its agricultural needs today, let alone its plans to produce power, chemicals, and fuel. Arid Inner Mongolia has also surpassed its quota, experts say. So the Commission has devised a scheme to transfer water rights within these regions. New industrial users pay millions of yuan to the Ningxia Water Bureau for water rights. The money funds projects such as lining irrigation canals with concrete to stem seepage. The Commission told us it's impossible to allocate additional water for our industrial development, so where can the water come from? It has to be saved from agriculture, says Su Ji Tiao, the Oklahoma educated engineer, trying to attract investors to Ningxia's state run industrial park. The scheme puts a market value on water, forcing industry and agriculture to be more efficient. For decades, the state kept water prices low to avoid rural unrest, resulting in little incentive to conserve water. Since the scheme began, the transfer price has doubled to nearly 25 renminbi, or $4, per cubic meter, and total water usage has stayed stable. We are relatively satisfied, says Mr. Zhang. In the villages of the Green Delta, farmers have stopped growing rice as water prices rise. This year, the government was adamant. No one should plant rice at all, said one farmer. It's a water crisis. In many irrigation canals, supply has dropped sharply. Some villages are drilling into aquifers. Inner Mongolia needs the water, said one farmer wearing a jacket labeled U.S. Army and tending to an unfamiliar crop of ornamental trees. He is not complaining. Trees and flowers sell for more than rice. Faced with high water fees, the power plants and refineries of Ningxia are some of the most water efficient in the world. An example for the rest of China. But limiting farmers' access to water could hurt China's food security. And the scheme does little to address the problems of water pollution and aquifer depletion. The pilot is about to grow broader. Downriver, Mongolia's coal boom town Ordos is looking to transfer rights so that local coal giant Shenhua can tap more river water. In the estuary town of Dongying, China's second largest oil field, Shenli, sits at the mouth of the Yellow River. It has the most to lose from an upstream water grab. China already imports half its oil. Energy security is one of the reasons for developing the desert coal fields, despite the strain on fragile oases. That also means it's essential that the river remains flowing to sustain the Shengli field. Dongying shows that China can improve water efficiency when it must. The 1997 crisis scared state oil company Sinopec into finding ways to reduce river water use. At the time, engineers pumped fresh river water underground to maintain oil pressure and output. We realized that was a waste, says Li Zhenquan, Shengli's director of enhanced oil recovery. Sinopec's water use at Shengli has halved from its 1997 peak. The company has invested millions of dollars into treating polluted Yellow River water. So that it is usable in its refineries and drinkable in Dongying. Sinopec is also an investor in Ningxia's coal projects, making it a powerful advocate for industrial water use along the river. With more muscle and money behind industry, even an industry that uses water efficiency, China's agriculture will have to give ground, as it is already doing in Ningxia and Dongying. 
Former rice farmers in the Yellow River estuary now raise goats or cotton, but still fight over water, one local farmer said. We didn't have enough water this year, so villagers closed the irrigation gates and cut off the next village. If Mr. Zhang's new scheme works, it will prevent skirmishes like these from turning into devastating water wars. This is Lucy Hornby, Financial Times, in Beijing. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.